Hello and welcome to the next episode in a Shoesmith's podcast series on the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on industry. My name is Alex Friston and I'm an associate in the business crime and compliance team here at Shoesmiths. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Roy Tozer, who is a partner in our Birmingham office and head of the firm's business crime and compliance team, where he oversees a team of 20. Today, we'll be discussing with Roy the impact of COVID on the legal sector as a whole and his work as a regulatory litigator and ask him questions about wider experiences of the pandemic, any lessons learnt, the ultimate aftermath, and then some thoughts towards the public inquiry, which is set to commence its first public hearings in June. Roy, thanks ever so much for joining us today. There's such a vast array of paths we could go down here, but it's probably easiest to begin right from the start. So how did the announcement of lockdown, the first lockdown back in March 2020, how did that initially impact you and your clients? What a great question. Um, I think in the same way as the whole country, we were in a state of shock and panic as we had to manoeuvre our working life quickly away from office attendance to being sent home um, almost under curfew to try to work from home in circumstances where, to be honest, we hadn't um, undertaken any similar work previously. So I think in the same way as the whole country, we're in a state of shock for you know, a, a short period of time. But thankfully, Shoesmiths were really efficient at getting our IS, IT delivered to our homes very quickly. And we were up and running using Teams, Zoom, Skype, and a variety of other electronic media, which I think many of us had very little experience of previously. You talk there about sort of Shoesmith's overall efficiency, which I can absolutely echo. How easy do you think it was for your clients perhaps then to adapt to the new measures that were introduced by the pandemic? And how did you sort of facilitate that? It was fascinating because there was a huge range. Um, a number of clients were just as quick as we were. Um, very IT literate, effective, and up and running almost immediately. Whereas others found it very difficult, um, didn't have the same IT infrastructure and, and had different types of business. It's all very well for a, an office-based organization such as ours, which relies to a great extent on IT to suddenly move home, if I can put it like that. Whereas if you're in the construction industry or um, the retail sector, many of your many of your employees don't have individual computers, individual means of communication, um, any means of communication. Think of the building and construction industry at the time, um, suddenly banned from site, unable at the start to do any type of work. Um, certainly that's my memory, um, whether or not the you know, mem memories fade, don't they? But certainly, the impression we had was that it was it was different for all different sectors of society. And you know, the rules definitely around lockdown continuously changed you know, from 2020 to 2021, so on and so forth. And there was lots of different bits and pieces going on. How do you think you and your clients continue to adapt to the changing rules and, and what were the impacts on that? And especially just drawing on what you said about how it 
was for sort of different sectors. So the construction industry was different. The retail industry is very different. Uh, we act for a number of clients with an international um, geographic spread. And that um, <laughs> caused even greater problems because um, we were... Alex, you were part of the team who were doing this. We were trying to provide advice on a daily basis to, as to what the rules were at any one time. And as we all can remember, the rules changed frequently and changed across Europe and across the world. And we had circumstances where clients were asking us, can we come? Can we come to the UK? Is it possible for us to come? What are the conditions? And so on. And we were pr pr trying to provide advice to multinational companies companies that were trying to get freight in and, in and out of the country, supplies in and out of the country in the building industry, um, and trying to work with all of the regulatory authorities to understand what their approach was going to be. Because it's all very well having a rule, and as you'll appreciate, rules at that time were incredibly important, but some of the rules made no sense at all. Um, so um, getting an understanding of how the enforcement authorities were or were not going to enforce the rules was really quite important. So we were able to reach out with the benefit of our contacts established over many years to talk to the regulators and get a better understanding from them as to how they were going to help business rather than punish business. Um, and certainly a number of our clients... Um, in the uh, transport and construction and retail uh, sectors found that really quite useful. Absolutely. And appreciating what you said about sort of constant rules changing and various approaches need, be, needing to be made um, you know, to various enforcement authorities. What do you think your top priorities were then when trying to manage the impacts of the pandemic? And in comparison, what do you think your clients' top priorities were? Well, I think our top priorities were to look after our people um, and to ensure that they felt looked after by Shoesmiths, if I can put it in that way, because Shoesmiths um, is very keen on promoting well-being and um, a positive approach to engagement with um, all, of, all of our people. And certainly I, I, I spent a great deal of time back in 2020 on what's called the Partnership Council, which is effectively an executive body within Shoesmiths, looking at how we would provide our, our colleagues with support, guidance, well-being, uh, further information. I remember at Christmas 2020 going around delivering presents, Christmas presents, um, which had been um, provided by the firm to the partners to take out and deliver to the doors of all of the employees um, so that we could actually see them. Um, so I think from a Shoesmith's perspective, it was primarily well-being. I mean, clearly we also needed to concentrate on the well-being of the firm and its ability to sustain itself um, March, April 2020, we were just going through the budgeting process and we had to consider how we were going to budget during a pandemic. 
many companies um, were also faced with a similar question. How long will it last? Will business come back online? Will the courts come back online? When will they come back online? Will business stop? And at that point, there was a considerable amount of fear that this would go on for some considerable time and that the legal services and professional services sector would suffer considerably. Of course, we now know with the benefit of hindsight that professional services sector um, managed itself extremely well and came out of the pandemic um, in good shape. But as you will recall, most of Shoesmith's um, people were put on 80% working. We partners went to 80% uh, in, almost immediately. Um, a number of people were put on furlough and we had to consider what the best thing was for all of our people and the business. Um, so yeah, from, from Shoesmith's perspective, as with every other organization within the country, it was difficult to uh, manage our way through uh, almost a minefield of different um, competing interests. Um, and our clients did the same, um, but in, a, in, a, in, in their own disciplines, in their own ways. Um, I, I had clients in the construction industry ringing me up and saying, can we go on site? And there were dispensations given to the construction industry, but there were limitations on travel, if you remember. Um, so we had workers traveling from um, central England into South Wales to work on a construction site. Was that allowed? Was it not? Um, we had uh, clients in the uh, railway industry running trains, often running trains which were empty. Um, how were they going to ensure that the trains that they did run um, didn't pose a risk to customers and that their staff could continue to uh, work safely. So uh, there were, a, I was going to say a million, not literally, but there were probably millions of different individual questions which arose during the whole course of the pandemic. I, if you take a step back now, it was a pressurised but very interesting period of time to be a lawyer, um, interpreting law almost on the hoof without knowing how it was going to be enforced. And I guess that we can all now look at what's happened in politics and how the government itself and the cabinet behaved to understand that even the rule makers didn't understand what the rules were at that time. And do you think that you're a better lawyer because of it? Whether I'm a better lawyer or not, um, you certainly had to be fleet of foot and able to engage in a meaningful way. Um, I tell you what the pandemic did do. It, it, it brought in a number of things far more quickly than um, might otherwise have been the case. So video conferencing, actually seeing your client um, at the end of a telephone rather than just telephoning them video conferencing across the world, um, the, the reduction in travel, um, the convenience almost of being able to speak to a number of people at any one time. We had, I think, 
probably the very first Crown Court sentencing hearing, um, and if not the first, one of the first, um, in relation to a big health and safety case that I'd been doing for years, um, in of all places, Grimsbury Crown Court. And it was undertaken um, entirely on video um, with the client sitting back and providing messages by WhatsApp. And again, another, another communication um, method, which certainly us older people hadn't come across necessarily as much, but businesses were setting up WhatsApp groups with their uh, people and with us as their legal advisors. We did a very complicated and very difficult inquest um, involving um, a member of the public who had not received their personal independence payments from the government. And the entire case, pre-pre-inquest review, legal arguments, and then ultimately all evidence was heard on video in court, which was remarkable, bearing in mind that up until that point, courts had been directing that solicitors, barristers attend even the shortest of hearing in, or, in order almost to pay respect to the court. So you must attend for a pretrial review. You must attend for an administrative hearing. But now they were holding four, five, six, seven-day cases all but on Zoom or Teams. Fascinating. Is that still the case now? Um, it's, it's, it's gone more, it's hybrid the right word. Um, we had a case last week in Liverpool Crown Court, which was um, a hybrid case. So we could access the court hearing and watch the proceedings uh, whereas the barristers attended, certainly saves costs from a client's perspective. Thanks for that. And what was the biggest case you were working on at the time? You may recall, Alex, you were working on it too. Um, <laughs> it was the Grenfell Public Inquiry. Um, we'd been working on the case since 2017, three years into the public inquiry. All hearings had taken place in person, and all of a sudden, lockdown occurred. What was going to happen? We were at a, at a phase of the inquiry where we were nowhere near the end. And therefore, there was a considerable amount of discussion as to how would the inquiry continue? Would the inquiry continue or would it wait? Ultimately, as you know, um, the inquiry did continue, and to their credit, the inquiry team were able to um, set up a system of video recordings, um, hybrid working, and video systems, which enabled uh, the inquiry to proceed with witnesses giving evidence in person, generally at the inquiry, but without um any other people in attendance so the chairman and his panel were in attendance but um the lawyers other than the counsel to the inquiry and the solicitors team were not present which was 
to use the word incredible was probably taking a little bit too far, but was just novel. Um, and again, save costs, save our client costs, um, and enabled us to be able to watch the progress of the inquiry from afar and enable the inquiry to continue to do its important work. So looking at how the Grenfell inquiry transpired, and I think quite successfully, as you were saying there, with a large virtual element to it, um, do you see this method continuing with the um, with the COVID inquiry, which public hearings, obviously I said at the, at the start, are, are starting in June. Do you think that will be successful for that, given the enormity of, of, of what the COVID inquiry could become? I doubt it. It worked during the pandemic, but I don't think you can substitute attendance at an inquiry to get get the feel of justice being seen to be done. Um, I guess there will be hybrid evidence given um, and flexibility that is now built into the system um, will facilitate that. But, but I don't think that, for example, submissions uh, to the chairman um, are likely to be made uh, other than in person. Um, and that evidence, uh, the preference will be for evidence to be given in person, if at all possible. But again, what we've learned during the last few years is that um, we now have flexibility in the, and the scope to work in a hybrid fashion. And I think that's here to continue. And just on the COVID inquiry, are you or any of your clients active in it at the moment? We have a number of clients who are clearly touched by the inquiry. Um, and who are sitting waiting patiently to determine whether or not they may well be called to give evidence at the inquiry. Um, we've been approached by a number of clients, um, both existing and uh, potential, to see how we can assist if and when required. Um, and we are in the process of determining how we can assist and provide legal legal advice and support based upon our experience in the Grenfell Inquiry, um, the Hillsborough Inquiry, and a number of other inquiries. So um, I'm sure that we will be able to. Um, the first public hearings, as you say, don't take place until June inquiry is likely to take some considerable time and as you know uh, the first hearings are addressing the government's response rather than the industry and and our clients response so um, we're keeping a watching eye and engaging with our clients in a meaningful way to ensure that we are able to assist them when and if the need arises and you know what other areas, topics and modules, you know, at the moment we've only heard about module one, um, one through three at the moment, what other modules and areas would you expect or would you like to see brought up as part of the inquiry? The way in which the government dealt with education or the education sector, um, I think will be fascinating. It may not be just the government, it may be how the education sector responded. Um, as, as we discussed earlier, the approach to um, communication uh, during the course of the pandemic from a business perspective was relatively smooth for Shoesmiths and many others. But of course, many people experienced having children at home 
uh, at a time when, if one is to believe the recent news, um, there was no need to have children at home. And then there's the engagement with the sector. Exams, you know, the marking of exams, the approach to education, the approach to university entrance. Um, and whilst there was clearly uh, an approach taken which enabled students to continue, we all remember those, well, certainly I do, remember those awful um images of students locked in their rooms in halls of residence uh, with messages on the messages to their parents from windows. Uh, I would imagine that education has to be part of the consideration. Um, and then you've got transport, retail, you know, the way in which the UK, effectively UK industry um, was traumatized by everything that occurred during the pandemic uh, you would expect at least i'd hope that there would be a uk industry module whether that would be broken down into subsectors or divisions of industry you know, rail or just transport or construction retail i don't know but certainly i would anticipate that that would feature um it rather depends how quickly the chairman needs to report. It will be a public, uh, it is a public inquiry and therefore um, there, there will be a requirement for a public report. How soon that's needed um, may be determined somewhat by political um, decisions to be taken elsewhere and the pressure which will be placed on the chairman. But as we've seen with the Grenfell inquiry, Ultimately, it's important to get to the truth and to have a full and effective inquiry which provides a full report. As you know, Alex, we're still waiting for the Grenfell report and we're approaching now the sixth anniversary of the fire. Absolutely. And just rounding off today's podcast then, um, do you think there's any lessons to be learned from this pandemic? And is there anything that you or your clients you think would do differently? Or if there's any sort of positives to take away from it all? Actually, that's a really good question um, and one which I hope the inquiry chairman in the um, COVID inquiry considers because recommendations and improvements no doubt will or should form part of the remit. Um, we've become, we've, we're all different um, after, the, after the pandemic. Um, we are all able to work in a different way. I'm not sure it's necessarily for the better, but humans are human and we are, I think, geared to be able to deal with different sets of circumstances which are placed in front of us. So um, I think we have made progress. We have been able to use IT and our skills in ways which perhaps many of us, those perhaps those older people in the room, myself definitely included, didn't necessarily think we would be able to get our heads around uh, in such a way. Um, but hybrid working, again, something which is new, effective, works for some, doesn't work for others. There are advantages, lots of advantages, but I mean, we, we can't forget that this pandemic killed so many people and 
the causes and our understanding really need to be understood properly so that we can prevent any repetition of a similar type of pandemic in the future. And that is where I'd like the focus of the inquiry to be. That's brilliant. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. Well, that's all from us today. Thanks ever so much, Roy, for taking the time to speak with me today. And that concludes the podcast. Thank you. Thank you.